Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? It's here, baby. The week is here. It is upon us. It's time to get excited. It's a great day to be a Bearcat basketball fan. First game of the season is only three days away, Hummer. We travel up to Columbus to take on the vaunted Buckeyes of Ohio State, led by Chris Holtman. We've got a special episode today. Kyle Lamb, host of the Locked On Buckeyes podcast, as well as the operator of the unscripted Ohio Sports Network, join the podcast to preview said matchup, teach us a bit about the Ohio State Buckeyes basketball team, and make even a prediction at the end about what the result of that game would be. But before we get there, Hummer, I think it's important that we make mention of the biggest news to hit any Bearcat fans' Twitter feed, Facebook feed, uh, newspaper this week, which was Mike Bone has left. Mike Bone will be announced the new AD of the University of Southern California tomorrow. He is the second major name in Bearcat sports to flee for Southern California. What's your reaction to Mike Bone, the Bone Zone, being no more in Cincinnati? We've all been focusing so much on Coach Luke Fickle and what his prospects look like at at bigger, better, greener pastures that we all forgot to look at the man behind the curtain the guy running the show, pulling all the strings, Mike Bone, probably probably more devastating in my mind losing Mike Bone than it is, say, losing one of our head coaches. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not surprised. He did such a great job at the university. He did such a great job pulling football out from the depths of Tommy Tuberville with his great hire in Luke Fickle. He, and granted, we haven't seen <laughs> – John Brandon in action, but from my mind at least, I think he's he's had a great hire. Time will tell if that if that stays true. But his his mantra wasn't just let's take football and basketball and make them great. It was let's pull up women's basketball, let's make baseball great, let's make volleyball good. His whole thing was let's be the best on on, on a big level of all sports. Let's be the best university in the league in the conference as a whole. So I think it's very devastating that we lose him. Um, we lost him to USC though. <laughs> you know, at least it's, it's not a lateral move, at least not in my eyes. That was not a lateral move on his part. I think he, if he leaves for a school like uh, Virginia tech, I think that's more of a, a step down at this point. If you're looking at where programs like that are, but definitely a huge loss. Yeah, it's a nice six-year run for Mike Bone with the University of Cincinnati. He he saw to he brought to fruition the renovations in the football field. He at least helped them close out that project. He certainly spearheaded the renovations we see in Fifth Third Arena today, which I just saw in person for the first time at Midnight Madness, and I was pleased with the with the new setup. It's a much more aesthetically pleasing arena. Uh, it's a it's a better place to hang out, be, enjoy a few drinks, and. Uh, 
and most importantly, and you alluded to this, he made three and probably more, but dynamite hires in our major sports. Michelle Clark Hurd has been a win for the program for the women's basketball team. John Brandon has the city on fire and he hasn't even coached a regular season game yet. And Luke Fickle has has had an amazing stretch here with the football team that that has fans worried that he's going to himself go out to USC and be the new coach. I, it's a big it's a big loss for the program. He's you know, his his big push was to lift up the entire sports program, getting better in the Olympic sports and hopefully see that lead us into a major conference again, be it the Big 12 uh, or the ACC. That opportunity, of course, has not come along, but he left the program in a much better state than than he received it. And we should thank him for that. So thank you, Mike Bone, for the six years of service to the University of Cincinnati. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done in replacing him and, and filling his shoes. I think it's to keep the momentum rolling. That athletic director position is incredibly important to make sure that they're getting the resources and attention they need uh, for for keeping these our sports programs that we love, especially the basketball program, moving in the right direction. So. I guess we can start getting into maybe a little bit about this before we get into our, our full breakdown of the Ohio State game. A little uh, conjecture, if you would. Uh, we've heard some names thrown around about the athletic director position and who should fill it. The wish list of a UC fan. Uh, Urban Meyer tops, tops the top of that list, but as we'll hear later, uh, probably why that's maybe more of a pipe dream. But let's talk about two names that that were realistic possibilities. Uh, one one of them in particular that was intriguing to me was actually the president of Youngstown State, Jim Tressel. That's a fascinating name, right? That's a name pulled up from the the depths of Columbus lore. But he's he's what the current you said president of Youngstown State University. Mm-hmm. Now, is this just conjecture or is there actual? founding in these types of rumors i saw i saw it on twitter i saw it from what would appear to have been a a more reliable source than say myself uh mentioned throughout his name there and it was just more as interesting to me because i'm always curious of how you know i know being a president isn't the exact same as being an ad and neither is being a coach does that necessarily translate into being a successful ad would that be the right type of guy to bring in a guy who went from you know, basically leaving Ohio State in a little bit of a sense of um, shame, if you would, or or himself personal distress uh, over what would have been the probably the, the lamest scandal in the history of scandals, Tattoo Gate. Uh, but to go and be the president of, of Youngstown State, the only thing I could see that would be a I don't want to say the only thing, but a great thing I could see being positive is his relationship with the University of Ohio State with wanting a yearly you know home and away series with ohio state and basketball might be being more possible maybe getting something like an every other year every four year type of deal getting getting an actual ohio state football game on the schedule i think he might be able to bring some stuff like that but it's intriguing it's an intriguing name it's a big name i I don't actually know how intrigued i am by that name what's worked for uc in the past seemingly has been these ad candidates who are not at the end of their career. They're not nearing the end of career. In fact, they are using UC as a platform to expand their brand. They're using it for selfish reasons, obviously. Uh, but they're 
in in the process of doing so have actually grown and and improved the UC program itself. So finding someone in that vein, I think, is the best option. Uh, but I'm not going to act like I have any expertise on who we should be hiring for the AD position. I look forward to finding out who they interview, what they bring to the table, and what their priorities are. Um, as a UC Bearcat fan uh, for basketball and football, I personally want to see us do everything in our power to get back onto a bigger stage in terms of conference. Be at the Big 12, the ACC, I think that needs to be priority number one for any athletic de- director they bring into um into that position we have the renovations to football the football stadium we have the renovations to the basketball stadium we have the right coaches in place for those programs get us into a conference that gets us back onto the national stage the way we should be based on the quality of our play well said well said hummer what i would like to do this week given that it is the last podcast episode before any real basketball games are played that count is let's have some fun with with predictions for the season um, look, it's a new team, lots of new faces, lots of conjecture about who's going to be the wingman to Jaron Cumberland, who's going to be the best defensive player, who's going to be the sixth man, who's going to be, uh, who's someone that folks aren't talking enough about that could be classified as a sleeper. What I want to do is the 2019, 2020 predictions for pivotal roles on this Bearcat team. Who do you see coming up big and filling these these roles for the team while also capping it with a prediction for our official record, our tournament seeding and the result we get in the NCAA tournament this season to kick it off. Hummer, I'm not going to ask you who's going to be the leading scorer for the Bearcats this year. We know who the leading scorer for the Bearcats is going to be this season. That is our Lord and savior, Jaron Cumberland. The second out there, that's the OG, the OG Cumberland. The second leading scorer is what is more fascinating to me. If I asked you who will be the second leading scorer per game for the Bearcats, your name is? Oh, I'm on the spot here. It's going to be Trey Cumberland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I do think it's going to be Javen Cumberland. I think Javen Cumberland is going to be the second, second best scorer on this squad. I think this, with his shooting ability and, and the way we're going to run this offense, he's going to see so many open looks, and the opportunity with with this shoot first mentality of this team, he's just he's going to knock them down, and he's he's I think he's going to be the number two on the squad. I agree with you. We're in agreement on this one. I see uh, Javen Cumberland as being the second leading scorer for the team, and as we'll find out later, I think he could potentially be doing this from a bench role. Really. I, I do. We'll get uh, into that. We're not moving on yet. Tell me about <laughs> this bench role. Are you saying he's not going to be a starter come, I think, come Wednesday? I think it's in play. We've only seen one starting lineup so far. Brandon went with a very traditional lineup. But given the how crowded our wing position, wing position is, I think what we're seeing is McNeil is a clear-cut starter. They love his leadership. They love the lead ball handling ability. They don't have to put that burden on Jaron. You're obviously going to be starting Jaron at the two. And I think Keith Williams holds on to his starting spot based based on everything he does on the defensive side of the ball, rebounding, slashing, putting pressure on the defense. I don't think Javen Cumberland is going to be starting for this team, but I do think he will still be the second leading scorer because he will get lots of minutes and Brandon's going to make sure a lot of the offense runs through him. I disagree. (laughs) The next prediction I want to have here is who's going to be the defensive player of the year 
for the Cincinnati Bearcats this season? Grant, I haven't seen a whole lot, and I don't want to make my predictions based off of one preseason game that I've that I've had a chance to see. But man, Chris McNeil looked impressive in in that in that showing. Uh, he honestly, I'm surprised that Chris McNeil was not targeted earlier, especially from from Cronin. He was arms flailing, he was hustling end to end on the court. I, I could see him making a, a run for it. Um, but honestly, with with the lack of talented height on this squad, I actually think it's going to be my boy, Trey Scott. <laughs> so I thought you were actually I thought you were heading in the direction of Chris McNeil, and I think Chris McNeil clearly can bring a lot of uh, disruption to the perimeter on the defensive side of the ball. That's why I see him starting with Keith Williams. But on as the guy I'm going with is the same you went with, Trey Scott, and that's not because. I don't think he's the best pure defender on this team. I think the best pure defender and with the highest defensive upside on the team is Keith Williams. But Trey Scott is the most important defender on this team if we want to be a great defensive side. Jay Sarola, Chris Vogt, they're both they not look... the, they're not the fleetest of foot. They're not going to be able to switch and guard smaller players successfully while they can disrupt at the rim. For us to be a high-level, high-performing team in crunch time, Trey Scott's going to not only have to play the five, he's going to be able to have to guard the biggest man on the other team, he's going to have to be able to switch on the smaller players, and he's going to have to find a way to be disruptive at the rim. So I'm predicting Trey Scott to be our, our defensive player of the year, but I'm doing so based on need. If he does it, we're a fantastic defensive team. If he doesn't do it, it does lower our upside on that side of the ball and probably, and probably is affecting our results long-term. No, I agree. And I, and, and I don't really want to knock on, on guys too hard. When I, when I just see Jay Sorolla and Chris Vogt play, they just, they seem a step behind at times, not, not in front of the play, uh, maybe a little slower on the, on the court and, and maybe a little less sure in what they, what they need or should be doing. Uh, I don't think you see that even with I think Mamadou Diara is also going to be an important player from the from a defensive standpoint. But I definitely think Trey Scott, while not the, these two are not the best, I think you're right. Chris McNeil will be the best defender. But I think Trey Scott's going to be the most, like you said, the most important defender on this team. And just to be clear, I, I think the best defender is Keith Williams. But I, I get what you're saying. Chris McNeil, Keith Williams out top can wreak mm-hmm. a lot of havoc on the defensive side of the ball. Well, there we go. Finally, we disagree on something. <laughs> <laughs> that takes us to our next prediction, our sixth man of the year. Who do you have filling that role for the team? All right, so we're going to have, if if we're going off of preseason, it looks like Chris McNeil is, is given the keys to the kingdom in terms of being being the one. Uh, I want to see Zach Harvey being that sixth man off the bench. I think Zach Harvey is going to be that guy in the rotation that's coming in. And, and saving us sometimes down the road. He's a freshman, so as we go through the season, he's going to improve from wherever he's at today. So I think he's going to be important come down when we get into January, February, March. I think he's that guy we're going to be able to come see and maybe even relieve Jay, or sorry, Jay and Jaron, OG. He's going to be able to relieve him, I think, at some point in the season in terms of, of, of keeping him rested. I like that prediction. I would love to see Zach Harvey in that role because that means that he's developing – at a, at a quick rate and is already having a, a exceptional impact on the team. 
I don't see him as being our primary man off the bench, though. I've already mentioned it. Javen Cumberland will be the sixth man of the year for the Cincinnati Bearcats. John Brandon is not going to start Javen Cumberland. It's going to come as a shock to most folks. Wrong. <laughs> following the team. It's a wild prediction. It could be off base. I don't Where's think it's going to be, button? though. Where's my no button? I need. Can someone get me a no button? <laughs> Javen Cumberland, a.k.a. Manu Ginobili, sixth man of the year for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Don't sleep on this strategy, fans, okay? Javen Cumberland can come off the bench, still play 30 minutes a game, and be in our closing five, which in my opinion is a far more important role for this team than the starting five. So you see him more of the Justin Jennifer type, but actually being able to score big buckets more often. No, I do not see Javen Cumberland as the Justin Jennifer type. If I saw Justin... Oh. Humber, <laughs> don't get me riled up. Moving on. Who is Poke the player? The bear, Hummer? baby. We're poking the bear today. Who is the player, Hummer, that you are most nervous about? And by that, I mean they might have high expectations and maybe not even super high, but you're just you're not sure they're going to make it. It's not going to happen for them the way you hope it does. Your boy, your best defender on the team, Keith Williams. The only thing that's look, he's going to be great, and at least we have we have a body of work to take a look at and say, hey, this guy's going to be a contributor. This guy's going to be decent. What scares me is the lack of talk about him this off season. All throughout practice, he's the guy that's been overlooked, the guy that's not talked about. And if he is being talked about, it's about he's not adjusting to the system, or or frankly, it's just radio silence. You know, we're we're hearing stuff from like in. This is a, probably another question we're going to get to, but Chris McNeil, sure, we've heard he's the best practice player. He was probably, you know, from a from a uh, a play standpoint, not season-long production here, but from a play standpoint in the one preseason game we've seen so far, Chris McNeil was put up one of the best performances on the court that day, but he could end up being a huge disappointment. But I think Keith Williams is the guy that I'm scared about the most that I'm not sure if he's going to live up to the expectations of what he should. That's an interesting pick. And the reason I'm not going to pick Keith Williams and the reason I'm not very nervous about Keith Williams is, look, I don't know that the jump shot is coming along the way fans hope it does. Everything else, though, he brings to the table. He's going to give you amazing effort on the defensive side of the ball. He's going to be able to drive. He's going to be able to draw fouls. He does. He's going to be able to get critical rebounds from the guard position that are going to keep possessions alive on the offensive end and close down possessions on the defensive end, Keith Williams will be fine. The guy I'm most he, nervous about? He might be about, fine. I'm just saying he's not going to live up to the expectations. That's that's the only thing that I'm thinking. If if you're looking at him taking that jump from, what was he, nine point nine something points a game last year into that, that 13, 14, 15 points a game, which is what we I think we expect, I think I'm worried about that. Fair enough. The, the guy... I'm no most nervous about, and I'm going to go ahead and cheat here because this is it's our game, is <laughs> I'm nervous about the three-headed monster of Mamadou Diara, Chris Vogt, and Jay Sarola. I am not confident that those three can fill in the minutes at the five that we're going to need from them. Look, Trey Scott's going to have games. Trey Scott's going to have games where he gets in foul trouble. And if our if we don't have big men who can slide in for him and fill that role of impacting the game on the defensive side of the ball and finishing on the offensive side and providing that spacing, 
we're in trouble. There's no depth at that position. And so I love the upside that Mamadou has. The athleticism's there. He's incredibly long. He's shown touch from the outside. But when it comes to live game action, he has not found a way to put it together yet. I hope this is the season we see it. But I am most nervous about Jay Sarola, Chris Vogt, and Mamadou Diara. I'm counting them as one player because they are all going to fill in what was a very locked-in role for us last year with uh, Nasir Brooks. No, I agree, too, because if you're looking at those guys, too, and I know that you know weight's not everything, but Prince Toyamba, Toyambi, uh, going out is actually a really big loss because he probably would have been the, the quattro in that, and with his talent level, probably maybe being able to be a better replacement than even Diara. But uh, Mamadou Diara, 6'9", 220. The next guys we have are both over 7 foot, 7 foot 1, 7 foot, but they're 260. That's gigantic. You're adding 40 pounds for 3 inches. They're a lot slower. <laughs> they're not as quick. They're, they're, they're a step behind. Uh, definitely, I agree. That's, that's a really good pick. I, I, it's very oversight on my part looking at the three-headed monster of our five hole right and it's picking three players so this doesn't mean that i don't think there's a chance it works out i think it could work out but this is these are the players i'm most nervous about on the team going into the season hummer if you were going to pick a sleeper for this season and by that i'm, I'm kind of referring to a player who you know is not getting the press that you would expect so far there's not a lot of hype People aren't really sure what he's going to be bring to the table for this team. Who would be your sleeper for the Bearcats in 2019-2020? Adam Cook. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was, that was a joke. I had to throw that in there, though. Uh, not going to lie. I was looking at the, the roster today, and um, a new name popped up, Adam Cook. Uh, not quite sure what the deal is. We couldn't find anything about him on social media. Um, I'm assuming he's a new walk-on addition, but he is not my pick for, for the sleeper. But just wanted to throw out there that we do have a new addition to the team, Adam Cook. Player that, that I think is going to surprise the most that's not getting, Mika Adam-Woods. Boom. That's my that's the same pick for me, Micah Adams-Woods. Yeah. Um, one, you know, I know I said Zach Harvey, too, kind of trying to fill in that role maybe more for Cumberland, hopefully the OG. But I can see Adams Woods coming in and maybe even filling that role of Chris McNeil if need be. And that's where I think he could be the biggest sleeper surprise is, is being able to come in and being able to relieve at the point guard position. Yeah, I love I love Micah Adams Woods as a pick for sleeper. We're going to need a backup point guard option. Micah Adams Woods in his first exhibition game against Thomas Moore showed that he's going to bring a lot of energy to the team. He has moxie at the point guard position. He has the a great knack for probing the defense, getting into the lane, keeping his dribble alive, and really looking to set up teammates. So I think the energy Micah can bring to the table offensively initially, but also develop into a really above level, above average defender for the team. I see Micah Adams Woods as our as our sleeper for the 2019-2020 season. That takes us to our official predictions. I'm going to give you a chance to correct course on a really tough record prediction you made earlier in the podcast. Um, you know, Probably one of our first episodes. What do you think will be the Bearcats finishing record regular season? What will be our seed in the NCAA tournament? And how far are we going in the tournament? 
Okay. Or you were the official record keeper. What did I say before? 23 and 7. 23 and 7. 25 and 5. We're going to take Ohio State. We're going to take one at Memphis or at home against Memphis. I keep everything else the same. I think we end with a five seed. And how far are we going? We're going all the way, baby. National champions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, in all realness, I think it's hard to be real, to be honest about this, because the fanness inside of me is saying, we're going to make it. We're going to do it. This is the year. I think this might be the best squad I've I've covered or followed uh, with 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 UC in the most recent years. Uh, you know what? We're going at least Sweet Sixteen. I love it. I it's love happening. It. We've got we have the the wings and the guard play to make a true run in the tournament this season. Hummer, I'm not changing my mind. The record will remain at 25 and five. I'm glad you've come to see the truth, like I did weeks ago. We're going to be 25-5 and five this season. We're going to get a respectable four seed from the committee. And we are going to the Elite Eight on Woo! the shoulders of Jaron Cumberland, Javen Cumberland, Zach Harvey, Chris McNeil, and amazing guard play. It's what I see winning the tournament year in, year out. We're going to get enough defensive production and finishing out of the three-headed monster of Mamadou, Chris Vogt, and Jay Sarola and Bearcat fans everywhere will rejoice for the true coaching prodigy that is John Brannon. He wins over the fan base, we storm the streets of Clifton, and we celebrate for years to come. Sounds like a lullaby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to dream about that tonight. We are now joined by Kyle Lamb, host of the Locked On Buckeyes podcast as well as operator of Unscripted Ohio Sports Network. Kyle, thank you for joining the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I am feeling a little bit like deja vu. That's kind of an inside joke, but uh, I appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it's almost basketball season, and I'm pumped up. Even in Columbus, Ohio, there are people that enjoy the start of college basketball, so uh, I say we, uh, we do it and have a lot of, have a lot of fun today. With the first game approaching, Hummer and I knew we wanted to get an Ohio State basketball fan on the line before the first game. However, we were concerned if there were actually any basketball fans before December in, in Columbus. So good good to know you guys are still paying attention. They are a rare breed. They are uh, not quite extinct, but they, they are out there. So before we dive into learning more about the OSU program and the, what to expect from the basketball team this year, I'm sure you saw the news our athletic director, Mike Bone, decided to take his talents to Southern California. He will now be the athletic director of USC, which I think will be announced tomorrow. And with that has instantly come rumors of Urban Meyer joining him at USC. And given your, your past relationship with Urban, I wanted to give you a chance to react to that and, and shed some light on how, how realistic would it be to see Urban Meyer go out to USC? Uh, it's it's possible. I think. Uh, look, I think USC fans uh, have some wishful thinking here. It, it, you know, I know they're looking at who's got a relationship with Urban and who gives them the best shot of hiring Urban. What it comes down to is, 
just of Urban, it feels like getting back into coaching. There's no doubt he wants to coach. He never stopped wanting to coach. It's just going to be a matter of him being able to manage his stress levels, manage his health. And if he feels like he can do that, he'll get back in. If his family's on board, he'll get back in. I think it's a realistic scenario. I think that's one of the jobs he would take. I just don't know if he feels like he's ready to jump back into it. And he's having a lot of fun. He's trying to keep preoccupied with his Fox gig, his stuff you know, here in Columbus at, with Ohio State, with his restaurant. I mean, he's not really directly tied to the restaurant, but it's just one thing to keep him busy. So I think it's possible. I don't expect it, but I, I'm not ruling it out either. With uh, Yeah, it would be interesting to see Urban go out there. And I actually wonder myself, is it, you know, this is the hot takiest of hot takes, but seeing the leap that Ohio State football has taken this year, especially on the defensive end and, and just how, how you guys are rolling, is it possible Urban Meyer's washed? Um, no, I, look, I, th- I think a lot of things happened. I think he may have, I think the, the gradual stress, the health issues, I think everything just kind of pushed him to a limit where he was relying on guys that he had close relationships with. I don't think he wanted to make changes on the defensive side of the ball because of his relationships. Uh, I don't think he was washed up. I do think if he got back into coaching, I think you'd see a, a new reinvigorated urban Meyer. And the same thing happened. If you remember in 2012, when he went to Ohio state, I think he was having the health issues and, and he wasn't getting it done effectively at Florida, but having that year off, I think he was able to get a new perspective and, and kind of catch his breath. And I think that same kind of thing could happen if he goes to USC. So I don't think he's washed up, but I, I just think he needed the time away, you know, both personally and professionally. So, uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of factors here as to why Ohio state is, is rolling the way they are. Uh, I, I don't think it's so much as against Urban as much as just indirect factors that, that contributed. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to keep an eye on outside looking in. And I know there's tons of Bearcat football fans who are hoping that it's not Luke Fickle who is following Mike Bone to USC. I have my doubts <laughs> That's on the whether, being held. you know, especially after the, the ECU game this week, it's still I'm skeptical that Luke Fickle is ready for a, for a job like like that. But if they were to come barking up that tree, I, I'm of the opinion that uh, he would, without a doubt, take a job like that. Yeah. Oh, just uh, on a side note, you know, I'm not telling you that everything is going to be okay for sure, but I I do know that Luke Fickle is really, really happy at Cincinnati and there aren't a lot of jobs that he would uh, go looking for to leave Cincinnati. So uh, maybe USC is one of those. I don't know, but I think he's really happy where he's at. So I don't think there's a great chance of him leaving FYI. Okay. I like that. That's a, that's counter to what I would have, been saying i think and i'm not necessarily coming at it with an extremely inside information type take but i look at the salaries the resources and the profile of the schools that could theoretically come come after him and i i just it's i have a hard time seeing him stay at cincinnati in that case yeah maybe usc is one of those jobs i mean right. look they're gonna, i mean they would throw a lot of money at him i mean it's it's still a private school people forget that it's it's not as big as some of the major public institutions like in Ohio state or in Alabama or whatever, but it is still a large school it, and they do have money. So yeah, it's, it's certainly possible. Well, one of our, our counterpart podcasts, their, their theory is, is that Luke fickle is the coach in waiting for Ohio state when Ryan day takes his uh, talents to the NFL one day. Yeah. The, Ryan, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint people, but Ryan day is most likely not leaving for the NFL. I think he and his family, they've been saying it all season long. They're really, really happy in Columbus. They see it as a destination job. 
he Ryan Day has mentioned many times he doesn't want to move his, move his kids around anymore. I don't think he's leaving for the NFL any anytime in the near future. That's music to my ears. <laughs> so so getting back getting into the basketball front here, Ohio State and Cincinnati, while they started playing each other back in 1905, they've only done so 11 times since that date. One of those games was last year. The Bearcats welcomed the Buckeyes to the Fifth Third Arena and actually lost the game 56 to 64. There was plenty of differences between this year's Bearcats team and last year's, including our coach. Uh, but that game was quite ugly. Uh, the Bearcats shot 27% from the field, were led in scoring by Jaron Cumberland, which is not a surprise. What was surprising is that nobody else in the team cracked double digits. Um, and then in a very fitting Mick Cronin way, his first comments after the game, after losing 56-64, to 64, were, if we had played better defensively, we could have won that game. I know people don't want to hear this because you're going to ask me about our offense. But what I'm going to I'm going to tell you is a math quiz, okay? If Ohio State scored 27 in the first half and we'd have held them to 27 in the second half, we'd have won by two. <laughs> Getting into it this year, I'm not sure how how familiar you are with all the change we've seen, Kyle. We have a new coach, several new players, lots of roster turnover. But before getting into the UC side of things, I kind of want to get your overview of what to what maybe you're expecting from the Buckeyes this year. Obviously, Caleb Wesson did did a great job in uh, in defeating us last year. He led the way with 15 and seven for you guys. I imagine he's going to continue playing a major role for you. But is it going to be uh, continue being such a uh, a front court led team? No, definitely not. Ohio State's interesting this year because I don't think they're going to be as good defensively, at least right off the bat. They're not going to be as good defensively as they were last year. But one of the things that really helps Ohio State is last year where point guard and ball handling was a huge weakness for them. They have two very good point guards this year. One is a true freshman, DJ Carton. He was a top 30 recruit. He is really, really talented. He's the definitely the most talented guard that they've had uh, in Columbus since D'Angelo Russell left for the NBA. Uh, the other is C.J. Walker. He's a transfer from Florida State. He is a junior. He's not as talented as Carton, but he's kind of a, a settling presence, very good ball handler, makes smart decisions, good defensive player, good leader. So they've got two very different type of point guards, but they're going to play them both together and separately, and I think they're going to have a lot more uh, natural rhythm to their offense. So it's, it's it's definitely not the Caleb Wesson show this year, although he has lost 30 pounds and he's much more agile and, and quick and showing a lot of more uh, skill on the perimeter. So they do have some guys around him this year. I think the biggest thing for them is going to be shooting. They have, they have some really good power forwards, some point guards, as I mentioned, some other wings that are talented doing some other things. But shooting, I think, is going to determine whether they're just a good team or a really good team. There's a lot of buzz early on about the team. I, I know you're ranked highly across several polls. I think Ken Palm's got you quite high in his metrics as well. So on the, on the shooting side, is, is it's more of a wild card situation, it sounds like, because when I'm reading through the roster and trying to learn a bit about the team, I, I read a lot about long wingspans, athletic guards, uh, folks who can get after it and defend. And to me, that sounds completely counter to what UC is rolling out this year. I feel like the, the lineups we're introducing are less explosive but more skilled than what you would have seen in Bearcats teams in the past which include you know includes Javen Cumberland a graduate transfer from Oakland 
who's got an incredible three-point shot, uh, Chris McNeil and, and several other prospects as well. What kind of style, what style of basketball does your coach, Chris Holtman, typically lean on? Uh, he's generally had a slower tempo, but I do think that this year there are signs they want to get out and run, but it's always, you know, there's always that caveat, the asterisk there. You got to play defense first. You've got to earn it. So I, I think they're going to ease their way into it. Um, but this year, I, I do think they're going to play more up-tempo than they have in the past with any of Holtman's teams, even back to Butler. It's just going to be a matter of can they do so while still cutting down on turnovers? Can they play defense and get back? Uh, you know, on on you know, if they miss, can they get back and stop the opponent on the fast break? If if they can do that, I think you're going to see Ohio State play a lot faster. They would like to. They've got the point guards to do it. DJ Carton, I mentioned him earlier. He he gets up up and down the floor really really quick. He's he's dangerous from what we've seen so far in transition. So. I think they want to get out and run, but it, it's probably going to be something they ease into a little. Has, and I think OSU to date has had one preseason game so far. Did you have any opportunities to watch that? Yeah, I, I watched. Uh, they so the Big Ten Network, of course, it's a ca big cash grab. They they actually don't put those preseason game, the exhibition games. They don't put them on the actual Big Ten Network. They put it on a special streaming package that you have to pay ten to fifteen bucks a month to be able to see. Wow. Uh, so. Uh, so you had to actually pay for it if you didn't go to the game itself. And so I did that. I dropped the 10 bucks. Now there's going to be another regular season game that Ohio State has on early, later in November. So I'm going to get two games for the price of 10, I guess. So it's not as bad. But yeah, I, I watched it. And, uh, you know, there were a couple open practices as well. So we've had about three or four opportunities to see the team in public. Great. Yeah, I think I read a little bit about DJ's first showing on the team, and, and he was living up to, to expectations early on with regard to the explosiveness and, and getting in the lane. Yeah, he, he looked really good. He had 15, 15 points, five assists, and 19 minutes in, of action against uh, Cedarville in the exhibition game. So he had a really, really good showing, for sure. When I, when I was recapping and kind of revisiting the game from last year, you know, remembering, well, this is we played a completely different style of basketball, I am... I must say, I'm more. Even though we're going up to Columbus this year, I'm much more optimistic about the challenge we can give the Buckeyes, based on the the new style of play we're instituting here. You know, you can you could basically tell from game one of last year the offense was going to be was going to go as Jaron Cumberland went, and if you found a way to get him into foul trouble like we did in the first half, which made him completely scoreless in the first half, um, we basically had no one to lean on that lean on at that point. Uh, Brandon, Coach John Brandon is bringing a much more democratic style to the Bearcats this year. Much more of a, uh, if you get the ball, push it. We want to pay, play with a faster pace. We no longer want to be one of the slowest teams in the country. And defense remains a priority, but there clearly is a much bigger emphasis on finding a way to be more efficient on the offensive, offensive side of the basketball. Do you, outside looking in, you know, what's... What's your reaction to the, the change that the Bearcats have gone through? We're seeing our, our new coach for the first time in 13 years here. Look, you know, from from my perspective, I thought last year sometimes there was too much of an organizational focus by Mick Cronin, and that's been the case in the past. They're always looking for that defense and, and physicality, and, and the offense, they, they play with so much structure. I feel like sometimes when you have the athletes and the skill level that Cincinnati has had, you got to give them a little bit of freedom to go out and just make plays. And Jaron Cumberland, of course, did that. And I, I don't think some of the other guys within that Bearcats roster has done that in the past. This year, I think Cincinnati has a great advantage going into this first game because anytime 
you're starting the season with relying a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that haven't had a lot of experience. You just don't know how they're going to react. And in this type of game, I think a new style with, you know, three leading scorers back for Cincinnati, I think that's a real advantage early in the year, especially. And I, I am interested to see if, if they can play with a lot more freedom on offense than they, than they have under, under Cronin. The way you just put that, um, was perfect, honestly, because that's that's essentially the biggest knock I would have had on Cronin during his tenure. Lots of great regular season results, obviously fantastic defensive teams, but basketball is a game of creativity, and th- there is a, a certain element of improvisation that's required to be a successful team on the offensive side of the basketball. And he never seemed to be able to fully trust young players, freshmen, uh, and any sort of kind of you know deviation from the the set plays that you run. And I think in, in basketball, you have to you have to enable a certain amount of freedom. And that's what you pro- you're probably going to see from Holtman, I imagine, with with the young guards he's bringing into your lineups. Yeah. And, and it's it's a little more it's a little more, I guess it's a better situation because last year they did have to limit the guards because the guards were turning the ball over a lot. There was a lot of head scratching moments, a lot of turnovers, and they weren't very good natural ball handlers to begin with. C.J. Jackson was a really good player for Ohio State, but he was never a true point guard. He was brought in kind of as a combo guard, and he was forced into a full-time point guard position. So they had to kind of rein the guys in just a little bit and I think play with a little more of that structure that I was talking about. But this year, I, I think that there will be a time, and it may not be right away early in the year, but there will be a time to just let the point guards you know, turn them loose a little bit and and let their natural talent uh, show through. And I, I think that Ohio State will try to do that. Well, I think pa- one thing that's been, you know, if I, if I guess I could chime in here, one thing that is, that if I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the Ohio State lineup, if it's something that is concerning to me, it would be that there seems to be a more leaning on your freshman this year as opposed to experience, at least when it pertains to this particular game that's coming up. Uh, with Cincinnati, I don't think we're walking, walking a single freshman out onto the court. Zach Harvey will play, but I don't think he's going to be a centerpiece of our offense. But it seems like you're gonna you're gonna have a couple in DJ Carlton, uh, Ed Lydell. I think those are going to be two guys that you guys are going to be leaning on heavily. Uh, is that something that you guys are concerned about, or is that or is that something that you're just you know it's like it is what it is. They're good enough. They're talented. They're going to be able to take us to the promised land. I don't think it's a major concern because I think the offense is still going to flow through Caleb Wesson and having that inside out presence um, is going to be a big deal. He's really good on the block, but he, his shooting is really, really good this year too. He was three of four from three point range in the exhibition game, uh, 23.7 rebounds total. The offense will continue to go through him and he's got the leadership along with his brother, Andre uh, the score. Some of the other backcourt scoring for sure. It looks like it's going to be more freshman and, and sophomore oriented. I mentioned Carton and the junior. Sorry, uh, Carton. Trans- yeah. Carton and the junior transfer point guard Walker. They've also, they're depending on Luther Muhammad and Dwayne Washington, a pair of sophomores to step up. They were very erratic and inconsistent as freshmen, but they most definitely have some talent. I think that it's going to be up to those two to be consistent scorers. And, and there is some uh, wait and see approach to see if that'll happen. But if they do, I think that it makes it instantly better because they're not going to have to rely on the freshmen quite nearly as much. On the, on the football side, this is not a, a rivalry. We've ever been able to get any sort of consistent, um, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to always have our football team play the Ohio State Buckeyes, and especially from your perspective, the Ohio State perspective. On the basketball side, I don't see why there's not a consistent matchup. 
You know, when you see how the proximity, the quality of basketball, do you see there, do, would you like to see a more frequent uh, year-in, year-out type matchup with the, Ohio, with the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats? As a, a longtime huge college basketball fan, I think it, I am always in favor of natural rivalries taking place every year in college basketball when they can. And I think Ohio State and Cincinnati is no exception. I think most Ohio State fans actually agree with that, too. I, that's the funny thing about this is I think if you were to poll in, a, in an honest moment, you poll Ohio State fans, you poll Cincinnati fans. I think most on both sides of the fan base would say, yeah, let's play this game regularly. Uh, I know that there are a lot of various reasons throughout history why it hasn't happened. Uh, it was often on the Ohio State side for one reason or another, but I, I think that there's. Well, I say let's do it. I, I do chuckle at people calling this a rivalry. It's like, well, they haven't played on campus against each other until last year for like almost a hundred years. Right. So I, I don't know if I call it a rivalry, but it could be a rivalry. Should be a rivalry. So yeah, I would love to see it happen. I do know that Chris Holtman has made comments uh, to the Ohio State media and in public saying he would like to see this be a regular thing. Mick Cronin, I know, uh, applauded him for saying that last year. I don't know how John Brandon feels about it just yet, but I, I do think that there is some momentum for this becoming a regular series, and I hope it does. Well, not speaking for John Brandon, I know one of the things he actually focuses on is analytics, even in the scheduling, not not just for recruiting or, or actual play on the court, but he looks to build a non-conference schedule filled with teams that are high quality opponents that are going to get that are going to result in a better seating at the end of the year. So I wouldn't be surprised if he would be all about a, a year in and year out matchup with Ohio State. I think that would be fantastic. It, it is would be a thrilling rivalry if we could get this every single year. Yeah, there has been some talk about bringing in Xavier, bringing in Dayton, maybe an Ohio mini tournament type thing. And I know that's really tough from Ohio State's perspective just because they have 20 Big Ten games. I don't know if you've seen the rest of their non-conference schedule this year, but it's brutal. They've they've also got Villanova next week. Uh, they've got Kentucky. They've got North Carolina. They've got West Virginia up in Cleveland. So you add in the 20 Big Ten games on top of this, it, it they've got a brutal schedule right now. And so I know that doing a, an Ohio tournament type thing might be tough, but there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of questions going to Holtman on a week in week out basis as to hey, you know, is this just Cincinnati or can we get something? Can we involve Xavier and Dayton and make it an Ohio type thing? Oh, the Ohio tournament sounds ex you know extremely ideal, and I, I imagine some of the challenges that Cincinnati and Xavier just have the built-in matchup as it is. We're going to play each other regardless, and that is right. a, a fully blossomed rivalry at this point. Um, Ohio State, I would not call it a rivalry either. However, it is a type of matchup that, that if we just started playing it every year, every other year, it quickly becomes a uh, an excellent rivalry, I think, from both fans' perspective as well. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be really popular. I, I just... I, I there I, for me, there's not a reason not to do it. I, like I said, I know in the past, I know some of the reasons why it wasn't done. And it was usually there were usually personal reasons, you know, whether it was vendettas or po politics. And I get all that. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I get it. Um, but now I, I don't think there's any reason not to do it. It's not like there's any bad blood between coaches. There's not any bad blood between administrations or the schools. There's really no reason not to get it going. And I think in this, the modern era in basketball this year is just, or the modern era of college basketball is so much different than what it was in the past. Where is Cincinnati still technically, yes, in a mid major conference? I think the, our conference is better, but Cincinnati's always also been a program that has played bigger than, than the mid major. 
So it's a quality addition for any school to want to add us to this, but also moving into the tournament and seeding wise, it's kind of, if you want to equate it to football, you need a quality non-conference schedule to help boost your, 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 your odds of making it into the playoffs, but you need the same thing in basketball. So by doing these kind of tournaments, I think it's fantastic. And it's just way different than in the past where Cronin's old motto used to be, let's beat up on all these Alabama A&Ms and let's not play anybody big in a non-conference because we're going to, we're just going to focus on the conference schedule where I think it's, it's a lot different philosophy nowadays. Oh gosh, I was getting sleepy watching Cronin's non-conference schedules there for about a five to 10 year period. I mean, it was just routinely like you look at the non-conference strength of schedule and Cincinnati routinely out of 350 some teams, uh, 300, 320, 325. It was, it was really bad to watch. And I, 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 felt so bad for Cincinnati fans. It's like there was always this question, why aren't people showing up to watch these non-conference games? Well, I can give you one answer. You look at that non-conference schedule and you see Alabama State and Mississippi Valley State and you know all of these dregs, and it's like that's why people aren't showing up to watch. The good news has been rolling in quickly with the John Brandon era. So we, he, he only had a few games that he actually had any, any influence in for this season, but he, he put in teams like Vermont, Drake, not necessarily big name schools. However, they are mid-major schools that will be competing for tournament appearances down the road. And so if you're playing that caliber of opponent rather than what what Hummer was talking about, which is just schools that are basically just, you know, doing it for the paycheck, you know, we're going to be way better off but for having that type of opponent and taking it from a 250 plus opponent to a, a 100 minus opponent, something like that. You know, people don't get that. Like, I'm, I'm big on analytics, and I can tell you, like, it may not seem like it, but the difference between the 175th best team and the 330th best team is huge. I mean, you're talking a difference in 15 to 20 points. And, you know, when you start looking at five, ten games like that, uh, scheduling difference, those points really add up. It, it's a much, much tougher game when you're playing even teams 100 to 150 than it is 200 to 250. There's there's a big difference there. Well, Kyle, before we ask you for your official prediction for the first game of the year, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just quickly summarize why I think we're going to look at see a much better game this year than we did last and why the Bearcats likely have a much better chance at actually pulling the upset at OSU. Last year, the Bearcats would routinely see lineups where three out of the five players on the court would not be a, a legitimate shooting threat. Trey Scott has improved his jump shot, but at the start of last year, he was not someone we were going to rely on outside of the three-point line. We were also starting Nazia Brooks, who was a complete non-threat outside of the uh, outside of dunking the ball. And we also have a wing player named Keith Williams, who, while I love almost everything he brings to the table, shooting is not one of those things. John Brandon this year is going to be rolling out lineups where quite often we're going to see four, three to four guys consistently on the court pose a threat from the three-point line, and we're going to also simultaneously play with, play with much more pace, much more driving kick, much more pick and roll at the top of the key. For that reason, I definitely think the Bearcats have a shot at pulling the upset. However, I'm going to hold, stick to my guns uh, as we did when we ran through the schedule initially. I do actually see Ohio State prevailing based on the home court advantage. What, sir, do you see happening in this first game of the year? This is really tough, but to be honest, I actually have not given this any thought. So this is this is a really fresh take for me. I'm I'm kind of giving a prediction for the first time. Um, look, I, from what I've seen from Ohio State so far, the talent is definitely there. I think that there is a lot to improve on 
They did beat Louisville by double digits in a, a quote-unquote secret scrimmage. I'm not sure how that how much that means because it is a scrimmage, and uh, both teams were without a couple rotation players. Uh, but I will say this. I think Ohio State will be kind of up and down, and I see this game playing out that way. I think it's going to be really nip and tuck. Uh, I think Ohio State pulls it out in a really close game. I'm going to say Ohio State like 68 to 65, that sort of thing. Um, so my original prediction when we first started going through our roster, haven't seen anything, I picked Ohio State to win. And I know scrimmages aren't the or scrimmages or preseason games aren't the end all be all. But what I've seen so far from the Cats is very impressive. I think that also the the lack of tape on them is going to be difficult too. Now that it's a completely different different style, I'm actually thinking the Bearcats are are going to score in the upper 60s to low 70s. So I'm thinking this one's going to be a Bearcat win, 71 to 68. Excellent. I I hope I'm rooting for the Hummer result, Kyle. Really appreciate you stepping on the podcast here, uh, talking some Buckeye basketball. I know you guys have plenty on your hands with the uh, the push to the playoffs with the Buckeyes football team. And uh, by the way, do you see what do you see with the football team uh, happening this year? You guys, you guys going to make the playoff and win the whole thing? I mean, look, I you never know how how to say yes. <laughs> you, you you just don't know how games are going to play out. But I, I will say this: if Ohio State, the way they're playing right now, if they show up and play their B game in any given game, I don't see anybody beating them. I mean, they're just historically, and it's, it's not just what I'm seeing eye test. It's like if you look at their numbers, their strength is like the strength of result numbers, uh, simple rating system, that kind of thing. I mean, they are historically good. It's like SRS on college football reference is actually the highest of any team in the scholarship era in NCAA football since 1975. So, uh, they're really, really good right now. If if they show up and play like the way they've been playing, uh, yeah, I, I kind of think they win it all. Well, Kyle, thanks again for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Uh, certainly appreciate it, and good luck this season to you and the Buckeyes. Yeah, I appreciate it. Had had fun, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. As always, please head to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review, follow us on Twitter at Cincy Slangin. Send us an email, cincyslangin at gmail.com. We're also available on Spotify as well as Stitcher. The reviews help spread the word, and we want as many Bearcat fans as possible listening to the podcast. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for spreading the word. We look forward to bringing you podcasts throughout the season. Coomer, it is your week. Every week we're going to do this, and this time it is you who must decide the former and I'm going to hold you to this. No cheating like I did. Former Bearcat basketball player to dedicate this podcast to. This was a tough pick. But I've decided that we should dedicate this podcast episode to Paul Hogue. 1961-1962 season. Most outstanding player in the Final Four. Paul Hogue led us to victory in the Final Four against UCLA, and most importantly, Ohio State in the National Championship game. In that game, Paul Hogue dropped 22 points, grabbed 19 rebounds, a decisive performance, one for the ages that led us to our last National Championship. And remember, to talk about the old banners, you have to have the old banners. Cheers to Paul Hope. Cheers. Hey.